Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. podcast thank you for tuning in once again we always do appreciate it and we also appreciate if you can write us a review at the end of the episode let us know what you think of what you heard we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts check out all the wonderful shows and hosts on pantheonpodcast.com as well as the official metallica podcast they've got their podcast on our platform and don't forget to search up pantheon pods on instagram twitter and facebook as well as the hook rocks on all three of those platforms as well. We always appreciate new followers and new listeners. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We've had some amazing episodes over the last few months, and especially you know October into November. We welcomed Tracy Guns from LA Guns talking his friendship and relationship with Eddie Van Halen on the anniversary of Eddie's passing. We also talked with Rich, about stoner rock and the misunderstood genre that it is and all the bands that are coming out and the music and how it sounds and, and the influences that it uh, where it comes from. So check that out as well. We welcome 17-year-old blues prodigy Grace Bowers on the show. We talk with Andrew Daly from Guitar World about 
Buddy Guy and his legacy. And we also also uh, recently welcomed Don Dockin from Dockin and George Lynch as well. So check out all those episodes and more. And we've got a great guest lined up for you today with a great band who's got a great new album out. The, the band is Green Lung. Uh, the album, which was just released, I think, last week is This Heathen Land. And we'd like to welcome Tom Templar to the show. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Looking forward to talking with you and uh, learning more about you and the band and the album. But before we begin, we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the show. And that is really what the show is all about. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it? I mean, if, I'll answer it two ways. I guess there's the cool, there's the cool way, and then there's the the uncool way. Um, I suppose in terms of Green Lung and the music we make, uh, I was at a Cradle of Filth show um, in Norwich, which is not far from where I grew up when I was about fourteen. And the band supporting Cradle of Filth was a band called Cathedral, who are, um, for anyone who doesn't know, a sort of seminal English doom band, who kind of I guess invented doom metal in the in the extreme nineties sort of sense. And um I remember seeing that and just thinking, wow, you know, you're allowed to tap into the sort of Sabbath heaviness and sing about folklore and weird English stuff. And growing up in very rural east coast of England, um, it felt very natural to me to sort of want to make that music. Um the uncool answer is probably, yeah, walking into a Woolworths at the age of like nine and finding an air guitar best of compilation uh, with, you know, I, I really remember this one compilation that had like Metallica's For Whom the Bell Tolls, um, Rainbow All Night Long, you know, like a really weird mix of classic rock and, and sort of thrash and all sorts. And that, I suspect, had a big influence on me as a kid as well. And and you know I I'm I'm 35. I kind of grew up at that moment where like Jimmy Iovine and others were making metal mainstream. Um, Marilyn Manson, Slipknot, Slip System of a Down. You know that was that was the stuff. I when I was in school was cool, <laughs> which is kind of extraordinary when you think about it now. Like metal being that mainstream. So I guess that 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 also had a, a big impact too. When did it become a path for you, a journey for you to be in a band, to make and create music as you do with Green Lung? It's a funny thing. It's like, um, I feel like I was never, I'm not a musician, you know, I am in terms of, I can't read music. Um, everyone else in the band is very musically adept, I'd say. Um, you know, our guitarist is pretty virtuosic to be honest. Um, I wanted to be a music journalist. You know, I never sort of saw myself as a musician as a kid. Um, I loved writing. I loved storytelling. I loved creating worlds. Um, I loved the sort of visual side of it. I sort of would make, you know, make up bands all the time, but they were sort of just dream bands that weren't actually, you know, growing up in very rural English countryside there wasn't anyone to go and jam with really. Like I was growing up in the middle of the fields and on farmland, uh, I could go and jam with a pigeon or something, but that was about as good as it got. Um, and then when I was in my late teens, yeah, I, I guess cathedral and those bands, 
you know, pretty janky, heavy, garagey, unmusical, extreme bands. I felt like, oh, I can do that. You know, I'm not, you know, as tra- I'm, not, I'm not like I can't play guitar. I can't sing in a traditional sense necessarily. I'll gravitate towards that. And so, yeah, I had some really garagey, punky bands playing in garages. You know, we played a few shows in London. That was about as good as it got. And then in my 20s, I'd sort of totally given up on music. Um, I guess when I was like 27-ish, I was just playing playing a bit in a band with some friends just kind of as a joke. And in the practice room, you know, just gravitated towards this ad for Green Lung. And, um, yeah, like uh wanted to just give it a go I, I think i had in my head this idea of a band a doomy band that would tap into english folklore and all of my sort of lyrical obsessions and just gave it a go and and the band came from like two bands sort of falling apart and reassembling as one um our drummer and our keyboardists were in one band um the bassist and i were in another band and actually scott our guitarist was in another band so it was a sort of Frankenstein of different London bands that had fallen apart. And for whatever reason, it, it's always felt like, you know, we started very much at the at the very bottom. We played tiny pubs to like, you know, 15 people sometimes. Um, we didn't we did it all DIY for the first like three or four years of the band. Um, but it always felt like people got it. And even if it was a tiny crowd, maybe three or four people would come up to us and be like, wow, like that was amazing. And, um, you know, personally for me, it's been this great adventure of like really becoming a singer after the point where I felt like actually I'd kind of given up on doing, doing music as a, as a sort of creative thing. Um, we all, I think that's what's kind of kept us down to earth. <laughs> we all know how sort of shitty it can be and we'd all sort of given it up and we're just doing it out of pure love and then of course when you're doing it out of pure love and not thinking about you know marketing it or you know when you're doing something quite weird not worried about how it's going to be received that's of course when it when people start actually listening to it which is kind of very very fulfilling and vindicating in a way but um yeah, sorry, quite a long answer there, but it's, it's been quite a strange path, I guess, to this band. No, I mean, love the answer. Um, as far as this album that was just released, it seems to be connecting and resonating with a lot of people, you know, and, and it seems to, I hate to use that term, blow up, you know what I mean? Because I think sometimes it's overused, but it's definitely reaching people that it, you guys have not reached before. What's that? Yeah, I hope so. You, you know, to see that, to see what you're creating finally start to go a little bit outside what your core audience is. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of an unnerving thing when you're when you're in the process of doing it. Obviously, when you're in the band, you're sort of seeing the changes to the sound or you know whatever um, many months before your audience is. Um, I think there's always been a network. We're not a band that wants to sort of sit, stay still. And that's going to upset some people, you know, that like Woodland Wrights, our first record was recorded in five days, very garagey. Um, you know, I, I remember recording the vocals for that in a couple of nights after work in a, a sort of basement under a council estate where someone was playing drums in the adjoining room. And if you pr- isolated my vocals, you could almost pro- probably hear like, 
drumbly through. You know, it was pretty punky, doing it quickly, no money. And there'll always be people who came on board and heard that record before anyone else who will, you know, what that will be their favorite record because there's a sort of nostalgia to it. They, maybe they just like the sound of it. I love that record, but it it's kind of crazy to me, the idea that you'd stay still and just do the same thing again and again. I don't think any of us are kind of like that. I think when we started, we saw ourselves as kind of in this kind of stoner rock sort of doomy niche. Um, and then the more we played together, the more it was apparent that the band could be like more of a big sort of warm old school hard rock band that's sort of updated for for modern times and incorporate you know doom incorporate stoner rock sounds incorporate folk and prog as well you know like everything that we like as as fans actually because the the band has this very strong thematic kind of focus of of you know this world of english folklore and um exploring that 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 kind of cinema and literature and 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 drawing it all into our music it does it it felt increasingly like we had more more musical ground to cover um so on this album i think it's funny like your third record is 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 an interesting one because you've kind of got enough out there that people have a sense of what the band is so you could feel more confident pushing out musically and um it felt very natural to us it didn't feel like oh this is our third album we need to do a folk song or oh, this is our third album, we need to tidy up this production thing or whatever. It just sort of happened. It always has with this band. It's just, we we kind of, we're quite productive. We don't overthink it. We just put stuff out. And um, it's super vindicating the reaction so far. I can't tell yet how far it's traveled. It's hard when you're in the band. You know, a lot of the people who are reacting to it are people we you know who've followed us for years. But it's just been really exciting to see you know, things like we got like a five five star reviewing Kerrang and stuff like the mainstream metal media seems to definitely have have kind of picked up on it more. And it's just really. Um, it's it's kind of nice to where we came from, you know, our first EP, we just put out ourselves on cassette <laughs> play, play to no one. It's 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 amazing. It's and, and long may it last. But, you know, um, try not to overthink it as well. Like tr- I don't want to start sort of playing to a certain audience i just want to do the band as we've always done which is just whatever excites us whatever feels right just do it um but yeah it's it's a nice feeling i don't know if we're blowing up (laughs) we'll see (laughs) well i i I just think that you know from myself you know hearing this album not really being familiar with you guys until this album, you know i i'm one of those people that you've reached that maybe i wasn't there before and that's also and, and the more i talk to people that I share your music with, they're connecting with it. And, and they've mm. some, a couple of people, friends that I've had for years already knew about the album before I shared it with them. So that's, that's cool. That yeah. was really cool to see that. You mentioned, you know, the, the English folklore theme throughout your mm-hmm. music. And how do you, how do you write a song with that in the, in the layer of it in the depth of it? that it's it yeah that that makes it appealing to a, an audience because english folk- folklore is a very like specific thing right it's and mm. you know, me, me in the united states doesn't appreciate it as much as someone yeah you know in the uk so how do you how do you kind of create 
a song where even if you don't know have the knowledge of english folklore there's still a connection with the music yeah i think it's a real fine line and it's something that comes to me again quite naturally but i've felt that you know it's it's kind of hilarious to me um that the music has traveled as far as it has because you know the, the lyrical themes are pretty niche let's face it you know like it's sometimes not just english folklore but quite local to a specific part of england and um what what i try to do is is just think about the storytelling you know i i want to put enough research and like detail into those songs that if you are a nerd and want to go and find out about it as much as i do and you want to go and dig in and and read the books that inspired that song or go and explore the landscape or the folklore that's inspired that song you can do that but ultimately if you're hearing that song on the radio and you're half listening and um, the storytelling is good enough to just treat it as like a little uh, uh, you know a, a little story that you can get invested in maybe it's like a, a horror story maybe it's just something quite mysterious but you know i i don't could go into the I, I try and get the beats of the song lyrically to to be fairly universal as much as they can be um and then let people if they want to go into the weeds um ultimately a lot of the songs you, you know about quite universal subjects really it's about like liberation it's about you know it can be about love it can be about um it can be a political theme about struggle and 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 um you know that there's some big human themes behind these songs um sometimes it does get a bit more bit more niche i mean on for example on the ancient ways on the new album you know it's a song about like it features like ley lines magic mushrooms uh, a book called the old straight track by a writer called alfred watkins a fantasy novel called mythago wood and a quote by john muir who's the guy who basically invented the national trails in the states and like it's 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 a love letter to all of those things but if you just boil it down it's a song about the the great outdoors and the joys of hiking and that's you know you can enjoy it on both levels you can go into all of that detail i mentioned or you can just go and put that in your headphones and go on a on a big walk through a forest and feel feel great and um that's the kind of balance i'm trying to strike i don't always get it right Sometimes it does feel like maybe it excludes a few people. But I've been really interested in how I think the music is very, you know, old school, accessible, hard rock a lot of the time. Sure, we're probably we're much heavier than a band would be in the 70s because we, you know, we get we can use basically all of the gear of every era and sort of heavy up that stuff. But I think hopefully a lot of the people can just vibe with the music and the lyrics are like, you know, if you if you really love the themes, then get involved. But hopefully they're not like a barrier. Like, you know, you're not going to be put off by by the by the lyrics if you if you if you're not sort of interested in that kind of that world. And and the, the final thing I'd say is like, we're really like we love celebrating British folklore. We're a British band. I think Led Zeppelin is an example of a band that was absolutely huge in the states. And, you know, they're singing about Welsh myths or very sort of this this sort of strain of like English sort of culture that's kind of quite alien to like if you're listening to it in Arizona. But, you know, it's still it still slaps and people still love it. I think 
trusting ourselves not to have to kind of market ourselves in this sort of transatlantic way. We were like, we're an English band. We're going to do like English folklore. We're going to be weird. We're going to be singing about um, (laughs) weird sort of local folklore every now and then. But we'll trust the audience to be like, cool. In the same way that if I listen to a Norwegian band singing about Norwegian folklore, I'm like, well, I don't understand what the hell you're talking about, but this sounds cool. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned Led Zeppelin because I was going to bring that up because I was talking to John Nato from Dirty Honey. The, right. the other day and we were talking we briefly talked about Led Zeppelin 4 mm. and you know he's like that album makes no sense in the way it's put together and mm. you, you think of Led Zeppelin 4 you think of Battle of Evermore you know which is mm. you know the, 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 yeah and and there's there's a lot of songs that I was kind of mentioned to you like the, the similarities between the subject matter they didn't always write about it but they always would put up a song or two in their albums about the folklore and stories of mm. it's Misty Mountain Hop and yeah. things like that. And then I, my follow-up question to you on what you just said is, there has to be some, for you who, who writes the lyrics, there has to be some excitement around what you love mm. to write about, you know, which is the English folklore and presenting it in a way where you can share it to an audience or share it to mm. an individual who's listening, who somehow, some way in Arizona, as you mentioned, connects with it. Right. Mm. And that's, that's like the true testament of, of great writing is taking a subject that's very niche, like English mm. or that's very specific and having someone who has no idea about it. And, Oh, that's a really good song. That's a really good tune. So there has to be some yeah. creating that for you. Yeah, certainly. And I think it's really interesting what you say about Zeppelin Four. You know, there's 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 songs on there that are kind of like rock and roll is just a pretty much a rock and roll song about rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Black Dog's an interesting one because it's about depression, but it's also in this sort of fantasy English folklore context. This idea of the black dog, which you see in Black Shuck, which is a Norfolk uh, myth, the bar guest in Yorkshire. It's like an English folklore motif. And it's using that as a way to talk about depression. It, funnily enough, in a similar way to the way on One for Story, on our record, I'm using sort of magpie folklore to talk about depression. It's kind of like an old trope. Um, but you're right. I kind of wanted to double down on that sort of big, epic, fant- fantastical vision of of Britain that the Zeppelin tap into on Misty Mountain Hop and on Battle of Evermore. But then they'll, you know, on the album, you'll have those songs and then you'll have something that's like a cover of an old blues song or something that's sort of out of whack with that. And I think we, we're much more rigid onto like this totally like immersive world and not, I'm not going to put in a song about uh, how I'm driving in my car with my gal, you know, in the middle of what else is, is, is this sort of misty sort of Albion type, type context. And I, I think just fully committing to that stuff, um, has really helped us to sort of have an identity as a band. I think you can say like, Oh, that's really green lung. And that's a great thing. And like people will sometimes send us like videos. Like I remember someone sent a video of just a, a huge amount of reindeer in somewhere in the arctic circle just walking around sit in a sinister sort of circle um in a really creepy way and was like this is so green lung 
And it's great because like, that's what I want. I want the band to feel like it stands for something. And that when you're coming to us, you're getting a certain feeling, a certain, uh, you're entering a different world. A lot of it is kind of escapist. And I think some of the best, best rock music is fantastical. You know, we're big Dio fans. We're big Iron Maiden fans. It's like getting into that kind of big mythic type territory and really committing to it, but also not, not completely departing into this sort of fantasy territory, escapist territory where the, the, the real world problems aren't there. Like I say with One for Sorrow, it's like, how do I get like a human song about suffering from, from depression into this kind of big mythic kind of context? And um, sometimes that's the most satisfying thing, you know, is, is when you're using this, the folklore that's been handed down to you by generations and kind of putting your own personal spin on it rather than just doing the same thing again. It, it, it you know, it's funny because I'm talking about this as if we're a folk band, but I think heavy metal has become a kind of folk music. You know, it's, you don't have to, for me, the most interesting metal that's being produced right now is not the most sort of like, here's what I can do on, on logic and pro tools, you know, like technically the most sort of, cutting edge metal it's people who are doing hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 
a really good job of imbuing traditional metal sort of w- ways of of writing with a, a new energy like a band like power trip for example who with cross you know in a crossover thrash context are kind of paying homage to the bands that have gone before them but like really making it feel fresh and new um and yeah that's kind of our uh, what, what we're always trying to do you know we don't always get away with it sometimes it does feel like um we're just having fun in you know in in in, in the early 70s but i think on our best songs we're, we're kind of bringing that hard rock that big widescreen cinematic era of hard rock um you know purple sabbath priest you know the big guns trying to bring that energy into the future and not just sound like those bands you know trying to sound like our own our own selves um and again you know that this album feels like the most the closest we've got to that you know not just sounding like sabbath or purple you mentioned Dio and, and Iron Maiden there's there's the mysticism and the folklore and you know songs like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and yeah Slave and you know the fact that I can sit through how long is Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner like a 13 minute song and just be <laughs> captivated for all 13 minutes it seems like when you talk about this and you talk about your creativity and and the and the what you're trying to convey with a song you have a a canvas that is bare right mm. and you're putting whatever colors on that canvas mm-hmm. and there has to be like a sense of freedom that you really have anything that you want to discuss and write about you have that ability i mean there's a lot of bands that kind of conform to this is what you know our songs are about this is what we want to do and you, as a creative person, I can imagine that sense of freedom that you have has to be very fulfilling. Yeah, for sure. And um, I'm so glad that, you know, we had this from the beginning, you know, our first demo, we were writing about English folklore. It's always been what I wanted to do with this band. I think on the first two albums, it was much more horror. Um, it was much more like talking about um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Um and that kind of did feel a bit one dimensional at times, you know, like towards the end of album two, I was like, I kind of want to just go and explore folk- folklore in a bigger sort of stage rather than just kind of horror movies that happen to deal with that kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we did this. I love Hammer horror movies. I love the sort of folk horror movies of the early 70s. I love that kind of stuff. But it felt like actually it's a bit of a straitjacket to just be writing about horror um and so with this album i wanted to just kind of yeah explore that whole world and i think that's where we'll go with future albums as well i felt very liberating i think i i'm really painstaking about the sort of internal logic of the themes and the lyrics and making sure that um it always feels like green lung because actually scott our guitarist who writes the music has definitely progressed quite a lot from the original sort of mo of the band to now you know it's much more flamboyant it's much more musical it's going to you know he's sort of flitting about like a magpie taking sounds from different eras and different different sort of genres um but i think it's important for me to make sure that that canvas is an enriching canvas that bears further exploration but ultimately 
you know, it's like Tolkien and Middle Earth. It's kind of like you've got to play by the rules that you've created. You can't you can't sort of change all of that. Um, I mean, I have notebooks full of ideas for songs. That's that's the exciting thing is that that this kind of world is a very deep, detailed world. And I can't I'm always looking forward to exploring new ideas. I think I will probably, even if we made, you know, 20 albums, I still have, <laughs> still have places to go. I hope. <laughs> what does this album say about the band and where the band's at and where the band's going? That's a good one. I think it says, I, I think this is the first album where we've really nailed what Green Lung is. You know, um, I think Green Lung was influenced by various different bands on the other t- two albums. Um and it was starting to find its own voice. I think with this album, Scott and I both knew what, what what it was, and we were aiming for that when we were writing and doing the package and everything. We felt very confident in it. So I feel like it's the closest we've come to sort of having our own voice. I mean, people are always going to listen to your music and say what they think it sounds like, and it's kind of hilarious. We get everything from Sabbath to Queen to Ghost to um, typo negative to, you know it, people have different rea- reactions and it's fine it, it, it makes me happy because it shows that like it, it, it has lots to it and people are listening and hearing different things um but i think yeah the eccentricity of it the confidence of it that feels very much like it's the first album where we really come into our own with our own voice um i don't think it sounds like much else um even if it has these sort of component parts that are quite inspired by, by what's gone before. Um, I think it says a lot about, yeah, but, but if you see the package on the vinyl, you know, it comes with a map, which gives you a sort of uh, guide to where, where all the sort of lyrical themes are. There's a very detailed booklet that is its own sort of document. I really advise people to buy the album on vinyl if they're going to buy it, because I think that's the format we always have in our heads. And I think, the world building is much more immersive. The research is much more immersive. I think it's definitely the most heavyweight in terms of conceptually that we've we've come from. It also like I think it's a testament to the fact that we want people to hear this music and we want to sort of bring back heavy, groovy, fun rock. Like I, I don't, I don't. I, when I look at a festival lineup like Download, there's a lot of stuff on there. Um, that's either you know men in their 60s playing the kind of music we're playing and then lots of stuff that's just nothing like that kind of music and being a hard rock band in 2023 is kind of funny because we're seen as like dinosaurs (laughs) but actually i think hopefully this album proves that hard rock is a genre that still has relevance and that you can still bring interesting musical ideas in and, and that you know that that strain of big old-fashioned english hard rock is still alive and we're keeping it we're keeping the fire burning even if no one's listening we'll keep the fire burning (laughs) people are listening Uh, (laughs) the the world building that you mentioned and the concept of that is very unique because i've never i've been doing this now for four years you know over four years Mm -hmm. 500 episodes and that's the first time an artist has ever mentioned world building as a concept of creating and having this presentation mm. you know in the vinyl when you're creating and you're writing the music is that part of the creation of how this is going to translate how it's going to be presented 
It is now, yeah. On this album, it definitely felt like that. I, I approached it much more like um, I wanted each song to feel rooted in the same world. And I wanted people to be able to, you know, pour over the map. Um, it's funny, though, like the concept actually came late. Like we had the songs. They were all rooted in landscape and folklore. And I knew that, like, that was the common thing. Um but it was only right at the end of that process of songwriting that I could see it all being, you know, almost like this guide to to occult Albion, as we call it. Um, so I think it's it's also inspiring for my guitar for for you know Green Lungs guitarist Scott, um, who's the chief songwriter. You know, he I think it used to be that he would write up a riff and a demo send it around to the band and I'd put some vocals on top of it this time around, you know, I was thinking, Oh, okay. I'm really interested in writing a song about this woman, Maxine Sanders, who was kind of a hippie, you know, British hippie witch from the sort of late sixties. And he sort of was inspired to write a kind of sixties influenced keys part for that song. So that it sort of sat in that world. So the world, the world building is fun for me and it's a good way of, tying together the songs in, in a way that feels rich and satisfying for the listener. But it's actually also like a write, a tool for a prompt for Scott musically as well. So I think that that's made us jealous songwriters more. It's more two-way traffic. It's not Scott sending me a riff and, uh, you know, a verse that I put my vocals on top and then we try out in the practice room. It was more like me saying, hey, how about this idea? And here's some lyrics. And then him going like, oh, here. Yeah, here's the music I've written inspired by that, or, or vice versa. So it, it it's a really useful sort of creative tool, I think, that that world building type stuff. Um, but you know, lots of my favorite bands have do that, maybe not as intentionally. Like Electric Wizard, for example, is a band that I think has this sort of sleazy seventies biker kind of occult, like washed out psychedelic kind of world that I you want to swim around in. Um, you know, I mentioned Judas Priest. Debatably, they have a world. You know, it's kind of like I can tell you what the, the world of Judas Priest looks like. It looks like lots of chrome motorcycles, leather studs, endless highway strips. Uh, you know, fire, fireworks, kind of circular saws hitting metal and giving off sparks. You know, I think the best bands have a feeling like that they that that, that you know that you can kind of talk about that world. And that's what I'm trying to do, really. Staying in the present when you have a new album out is mm. important. You know, you have to connect with the keep connected to those songs. Yep. Those songs need to stay with you. How do you how do you stay connected? Because you've mentioned a couple times about what you're going to mm. do next. And, you know, the you know, you're, you're, you're like most creative people are always looking forward. Mm. But how do you balance that? me it's like this at this point you know we've worked our butts off all year for this record and um you know it's a lot of stress we've all got day jobs it's like you've got to love it you know even if it's 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 more more successful it's a hell of a lot of work and um yeah you're right it's sort of like staying in love with the songs and the album through that process is is sometimes tough but that changes as soon as you get on stage i think um you know we played the first time three of the songs maxine um one for sorrow and uh, mountain throne we played them two weeks ago in germany and 
they're, they're, the, the thing is, the songs keep growing. You know, the songs don't just when you're playing them live, they're not the songs that they were on the record. You know, there's always this little bit that you know maybe like the the bassist or guitarist is going to drop out, and there's going to be a sort of uh, you know fun little drum moment there, or maybe I'm going to phrase something slightly differently, or I'm going to work on the delivery of that bit, and I, they, they stay alive. And I think even like with our first out, the songs on our first album, every time I play them live, it feels like we're doing them for the first time again. It's it's that's the beautiful thing of live music. I think if I lost that, it'd be really scary. It's like this electric thing of like i i think also i am a fan of this band as much as i'm part of it like i'm the mc up front you know yowling over what i think is an amazing band and it's really easy for me to sort of get into that like into the same sort of headspace as the audience i think i'm kind of we feed off one another um i think you know with this album it's a big statement from us we we, we worked in it for a long time we've kind of been on full gear since we started the band it's only six years old the band and we've done three albums um i think what we want to do now is really take a live show to the next level I, i'm not really thinking about the next album i'm thinking about how do i get the live show into sort of early iron maiden territory what props can we use how can i you know push how can we push it and 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 like make it into a hell of a show that people were talking about that's kind of that's the fun thing we we, we were kind of like you know we spent two years stuck inside from the pandemic around our second album we're yeah. we're still hungry for the road you know we, we're not a, a green lung show is quite a rare thing people sort of when we played in, in Berlin two weeks ago, someone was there from London and someone was there from Spain. And it's like, you know, a tiny club gig. <laughs> so um, just getting out there and, and helping the songs to take on this new dimension is big. We, we played we played five weeks with Clutch last year and that was fan- a huge thing for the band. It really um, It really made us a much better band and a much better live band. And I think we just love that the experience that the road gives you because it comes back into the record, you know, um, it, yeah. it makes you a much tighter unit. Um, so, yeah, we're not resting on our laurels, but we're we're going to have some fun. <laughs> experience is always the gateway to creativity, right? I mean, yeah, it's hard to create without experience. It's especially hard to progress without feeling like you, you're leveling up, I guess, like. I think for me as a singer who wasn't really singing when we started the band, the live thing has been huge for for me in terms of getting confidence and and sort of taking risks with my voice. Like some of the stuff on this record is real, like Rob Halford territory. I would not have gone near that on the first two two albums because I would have sounded like a. I mean, some people may still sound like I sound like a dying weasel, but um, it, it would have been even more apparent. On the first first couple of years of the band, you know, the more the, the better you get, the more you've the more space you've got, right? The more right. the more territory you've got to explore. So hopefully, you know, we're we're still in that in that phase of growing. I think it's it's satisfying for, to me for every time we put a record out for people to be saying, "Oh wow, like yeah, yeah you guys have taken it up a notch." Um, I kind of want people to keep saying that. What's next, we can. <laughs> What's next for you guys in terms of touring and hitting the road? 
So yeah, we're, we're UK, we've got two weeks uh, at the end of this month. We've got um, some EU dates early next year, um, going to Ireland for the first time, playing a bunch of festivals, some of which are announced, some of which aren't. I can't remember which ones are announced and which aren't, so I should probably play it safe and not just say that we're playing some festivals so that I don't get my booking agent uh, giving me a bollocking. Um, you know, I, I think the, the big question for us is the States. Um, we had an offer to play Desert Fest in New York couple of years back but we couldn't do it because the visas were so expensive i think what we hopefully will get in the next couple of years is um a big festival giving us an offer which would allow us to come over and maybe do do it do a tour and pay for visas and you know it's expensive we, we know how many people are out there in the states it, you know on spotify you can see that the biggest audience is in the states and it's kind of kills us that because of you know economic circumstances <laughs> That we can't get out there to all of those fans. And every time we post about tours, people are like, you know, come to Montana. And it's like, I would love to. I would love to. Um, so fingers crossed that that's, that's something that, that happens in, in the next couple of years. Yeah, I just did an interview in September with Labros G from 1000 Mods. Great band. Right, yeah, from, yeah. From great Greece. And he mentioned the same thing about, because they toured the States with Valley of the Sun. Cool. Um, I'm part That's of the bill. part of the yeah great bill, and he was talking about the challenges of the visas and and the the fees that are now requested by the United States, mm-hmm. and it is not cheap. It, it is um, it's difficult for bands to get over here, and and, and we love the bands from the UK, from Europe, from wherever yeah. they're from, and it just seems like that's becoming less and less because of because yeah, of, but it's the know. same on this yeah. side of the pond, you know, like. Damnation Festival just happened last weekend and Chemist, who are a doom band um, who I absolutely love. It's their first show in the UK ever. And they're like, they're th- I think three or four albums in on New Clip Blast. And it's like, it, it, it kind of reminded me like, hey, you know, don't get too bummed about not playing the States yet because if those guys only just got over here, <laughs> you know, it's it's tough. It's really yeah. tough. And yeah. um, But, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed. I think... Um, if one, you know, if we did this album has introduced us to to more people, it becomes more and more likely that we'll get over there. So, yeah, let's see, let's see. Tom, it's been great getting to know you and the band. Um, love, love the album. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. So, again, thank you very, for, very, thank you very much for appearing on the show. I I did enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much, Jay. Pleasure, and um, yeah, hopefully we'll get another one done in the, in the next few years and we can chat again. But until then. <laughs> Absolutely. The album is This Heathen Land and go check it out. It is absolutely fantastic. It's available on all streaming platforms, but go get that vinyl that we talked about in this interview because it really is something. And for those vinyl collectors that are out there, you will enjoy it. So once again, I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other, stay safe, and we will talk soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.